Chapter nineteen of the Eye of Dread. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Eye of Dread by Payne Erskine. Chapter nineteen. The Mine and the Departure. Larry Cardine went around behind the stall where he kept his own horse and returned with a hollow tube of burnt clay about a foot long. Into this he thrust a pine knot heavy with pitch, and carrying a bunch of matches in his hand, he led the way back off the fodder. I made these clay handles for my torches myself. They are my invention, and I am quite proud of them. You can hold this burning knot till it is quite consumed, and that's a convenience. He stopped and crept under the fodder, and then Harry King saw why he kept more there than his horse could eat, and never let the store run low. It was to conceal the opening of a long, low passage that might at first be taken for a natural cave under the projecting mass of rock above them, which formed one side and part of the roof of the shed. Quivering with excitement, although sad at heart, Harry King followed his guide, who went rapidly forward, talking and explaining as he went. Under his feet the way was rough and he made frequent turns, and for the most part seemed to climb upward. There, you see it? I discovered a vein of ore back there at the place we entered, and assayed it and found it rich, and see how I worked it out? Here it seemed to end, and then I was still sane enough to think I had enough gold for my life. I left the digging for a while and went to find my boy. I learned that he was living and had gone into the army with his cousin, and I knew we would be of little use to each other then, but reasoned that the time was to come when the war should be over, and then he would have to find a place for himself, and his father's gold would help. However it was, I saw I must wait. Sit here a bit on this ledge, I want to tell you, but not in self-justification, mind you, not that. I had been in India, and had had my fill of wars and fighting. I had no mind to it. I went off and brought stores and seed, and thought I would make more of my garden and not show myself again in Levite, until my boy was back. It was in my thought, if the lad survived the army, to send for him and give him gold to hold his head above, well, to start him in life, and let him know his father, but when I returned, the great madness came on me. I had built the shed, and stabled my horse there, and purposely located my cabin below. The trail up here from the plain is a blind one, because of the wash from the hills at times, and I didn't fear much from white men, still I concealed my tracks like this. Gold often turns men into devils. He was silent for a time, and Harry King wondered much why he had made no further effort to find his son before making to himself the offer he had. But he dared not question him, and preferred to let Larry take his own way of telling what he would. As if divining his thought, Larry said quietly, Something held me back from going down again to find my son. The way is long, and in the old way of travelling over the plains, it would take a year or more to make the journey and return here. 
and somehow a superstition seized me that my boy would set out some time to find me and i would make the way easy for him to do it and here on the mountain the years slipped by like a long sleep he began moving the torch about to show the walls of the cave in which they sat and as he did so he threw the light strongly on the young man's face and scrutinized it sharply he saw again that terrible look of sadness as if his soul were dying with him he saw great drops of sweat on his brow and his eyes narrowed and fixed and he hurried on with the narrative he could not bear the sight now here look how this hole widens out here was where i prospected about to find the vein again and there is where i took it up all this overhead is full of gold think what it would mean if a man had the right apparatus for getting it out i mean separating it i only took what was free that is what could easily freed from the corpse sometimes i found it in fine nuggets and then i would go wild and work until i was so weak i could hardly crawl back to the entrance i often lay down here and slept with fatigue before i could get back and cook my supper as they went on a strange roaring seemed gradually to fill the passage and harry spoke for the first time since they had entered he feared the sound of his own voice as though if he began to speak he might scream out or revel something he was determined to hide he thought the roaring sound might be in his own ears from the surging of blood in his veins and the tumultuous beating of his heart what is it i hear is my head right the roaring yes you're all right i thought when i was working here and slowly burrowing further and further that it might be the lack of air and tried to contrive some way of getting it from the outside i thought all of the time that i was working further into the mountain and that i would have to stop or die here like a rat in a hole but you just wait you'll be surprised in a minute then harry laughed and the laugh unexpected to himself woke him from the trance-like feeling that possessed him and he walked more steadily i've been being more surprised each minute am i in aladdin's cave or whose is it only mine just one more turn here and then it was not in the night i came here and it was not all at once as you are coming hold on let me go in front of you the hole was made gradually until one morning about ten o'clock a great mass of rock gold-bearing i tell you rich in nuggets i was crazed to lose it fell out into space and there i stood on the very verge of eternity they rounded the turn as he talked and larry cardine stood forward under the stairs and waved the torch over his head and held harry back from the edge with his other hand the air over their heads was sweet and pure and cold and full of the roar of falling water they could see it in a long vast ribbon of luminous whiteness against the black abyss moving and waving coming out from nothingness far above them and reaching down to the nethermost depths in that weird gloom of night into nothingness again harry stepped back and back 
into the hole from which they had emerged and watched his companion stand holding the torch which lit his features with a deep red light until he looked as if he might be the very alchemist of gold red gold and turning all he looked upon into the metal which closes around men's hearts the red light flashed on the white ribbon of water and this way and that as he waved it around on the sides of the passage behind him turning each point of projecting rock into gold do you know where we are no we're right under the fall right behind it no one can ever see this hole from the outside it is as completely hidden as if the hand of the almighty were stretched over it the rush of this body of water always in front of it keeps the air in the passage always pure it's wonderful wonderful he turned to look at harry and saw a wild man crouched in the darkness of the passage glaring and preparing to leap he seized and shook him what ails you man hold on hold on keep your head i say there i've got you turn about now it's over now that's enough it won't come again harry moaned oh let me go let me get away from it the big man still gripped him and held him with his face toward the darkness tell me what you see he commanded harry still moaned and sank loose upon his knees lord forgive forgive tell me what you see larry still commanded he would try to break up this vision seeing god it is the eye it follows me it is gone he heaved a great sigh of relief but still remained upon his knees quivering and weak did you see it you must have seen it i saw nothing and you saw nothing it's in your brain and your brain is sick you must heal it you must stop it stand now and conquer it harry stood shivering i wanted to end it it would have been so easy and all over so soon he murmured and you would die a coward and so odd one more crime to the first you'd shirk a duty and desert those who need you you'd leave me here in the lurch and those women dependent on me wake up i'm awake let's go away harry put his hand to his forehead and wiped away the cold drops that stood out like glistening beads of blood in the red light of the torch larry grieved for him in spite of the harshness of his words and tone and taking him by the elbow he led him kindly back into the passage don't trouble about me now harry said at last you've given me a thought to clutch to if you really do need me i could believe it well you may didn't you say you'd do for me more than sons do for their fathers i ask you to do just that for me live for me it's a hard thing to ask of you for as you say the other would be easier but it's a coward's way don't let it tempt you stand to your guns like a man and if the time comes and you can't see things clearly go back and make your confession and die the death as a brave man should meantime live to some purpose and do it cheerfully larry paused his words sank in as he meant they should he guided harry slowly back to the place from which they had diverged his arm across the younger man's shoulder now i've more to show you 
when i saw what i had done i set myself to find another vein and see this large room i groveled all about here this way and that a year of this see it took patience and in the meantime i went out into the world as far as san francisco and wasted a year or more then i came back i tell you there is a lure in the gold and the mountains are powers of peace to a man it seemed there was no other place where i could rest in peace of mind the longing for my son was on me but the war still raged and i had no mind for that yet i was glad my boy was taking his part in the world out of which i had dropped for one thing it seemed as if he were more my own than if he lived in the right, on the banker's bounty i would not go back there and meet the contempt of peter cragnell for he never could forget that i had taken his sister out of hand and she gone man it was all too sad how did i know how my son had been taught to think on me i could not go back when i would his name was richard my boys if he came alive from the army i do not know see here is where i found another vein and i have followed it on there to the end of this other branch of the passage and not exhausted it yet here's maybe another twenty years work for some man now wasn't it a great work for one man alone to tunnel through that rock to the fall no one man needs all that wealth i've often thought of ireland and the poverty we left there if i had my boy to hearten me i could do something for them now we'll go back and sleep for it's the trail for me to-morrow and to go and come quickly before the snow falls come they returned in silence to the shed the torch had burned well down into the clay handle and larry cardine extinguished the last sparks before they crept through the fodder to their room in the shed the fire of logs was almost out and the place growing cold you'll find the gold in a strong box made of hewn logs buried in the ground underneath the wood in the addition to the cabin there's no need to go to it yet not until you need money i'll show you how i prepare it for use in the morning i do it in the room i made there near the fall it's the most secret place a man ever had for such work larry stretched himself in his bunk and was soon sleeping soundly not so the younger man he could not compose himself after the excitement of the evening he tossed and turned until morning found him weary and worn but with his troubled mind more at rest than it had been for many months he had fought out his battle at least for the time being and was at peace harry king rose and went out into the cold morning air and was refreshed he brought in a large handful of pine cones and made a roaring fire in the chimney he had built before larry roused himself then he too went out and surveyed the sky with practised eye clear and cool that argues well for me if it were warm now i'd hardly like to start sometimes the snow holds off for weeks in this weather they stood in the pallid light of the early morning an hour before the sun and the wind lifted larry's hair and flapped his shirt sleeves about his arms it was a tingling sharp breeze 
and when they returned to the cave where they went for Harry's lesson in smelting, the old man's cheeks were ruddy. The sun had barely risen when the lessons were over, and they descended for breakfast. Amelia had all ready for them, and greeted Larry from the doorway. "'Good morning, Sir Claudine. You start soon. I have many good things to eat all prepared to put in your bag, and when you sit to your dinner on a long way, it is that you must think of Amelia, and know that she says a prayer to the sweet Christ, that he sends his good angels to watch over you all the way you go. A prayer to follow you all the way is good, is not? Amelia's frank and untrammelled way of referring to divinity always precipitated a shyness on Larry, a shyness that showed itself in smiles and stammering. Good, good, yes, good, maybe so. Harry had turned back to bring down Larry's horse and patrol. Now, while we eat, Harry will be down soon and we won't wait for him. While we eat, let me go over the things I'm to find for you down below. I must learn the list well by heart, or you may send me back for the things I've missed bringing. As they talked, the Maya took from her wrist a heavy bracelet of gold, and from a small leather bag hidden in her clothing, a brooch of emeralds, quaintly set and very precious. Her mother sat in one of her trance-like moods, apparently seeing nothing around her, and Amalia took Larry to one side and spoke in low tones. Sir Kildane, I have thought much, and at last it seems to me right to part with these. It is little that we have, and no money, only these. What they are worth I have no knowledge. Mother may know, but to her I say nothing. They are a memory of the days when my father was noble and lived at the court. If you can sell them, it is that this brooch should bring much money. My father has told me it was saved for my dowry with a few other jewels of less worth. I have no need of dowry. It is that I never will marry. Until my mother is gone, I can well care for her with the lace I make. And then, laughs, I can't take these. I have no knowledge of their worth, or he knew he was saying what was not true, for he knew well the value of what she laid so trustingly in his palm, and his hand quivered under the shining jewels. He cleared his throat and began again. <laughs> I say, I can't take jewels so valuable over the trail and run the risk of losing them. Never. Put them by as before. But how can I ask of you the things I wish? I have no money to return for them, and none for all you have done for my mother and me. Please, Sir Claudine, take off this, then only enough to buy for our need. It is little to take. Don't be hard with me. She pleaded sweetly, placing one hand under his great one and the other over the jewels, holding them pressed to his palm. Will you go away and leave my heart heavy? Look here now. Again he cleared his throat. <laughs> you put them by until I come back, and then, but she would not. And tying them in her handkerchief, she thrust them into the pocket of his flannel shirt. There, it is not safe in such a place. Be sure you take care, Sir Claudine. I have many faults in my mind. 
it is not all the money of these you will need now and of the rest i may take my mother to a large city where are people who understand the fine lace there i may sell enough to keep us well but of money will i need first a little to get us there it is well for me you take these see is not no it is not well he spoke roughly in his effort to overcome his emotion where under heaven can i sell these you go not to the great city she asked sadly how must we then so long intrude us upon you it is very sad she clasped her hands and looked in his eyes her own bringing with tears then he turned away tears in a woman's eyes he could not stand it see here i'll tell you what i'll do if that railroad is through anywhere so so i can reach san francisco he thought he knew that to be an impossibility and that she would be satisfied i say if it's where i can reach san francisco i'll see what can be done he cleared his throat a great many times and stood awkwardly hardly daring to move with the precious jewels in his pocket see here they'll job all out of here can't you she turned on him radiantly you may have my bag of leather in that they will be safe she removed the string from her neck and by it pulled the small embossed case from her bosom shook out the few rings and unset stones left in it she returned the larger jewels to it and gave it into his hand still warm from its soft resting-place at the same moment harry arrived leading the animals he lifted his head courageously and his eyes shone as with an inspiration will you let me accompany you a bit of the way sir i'd like to go larry accepted gladly he knew then what he would do with amalia's dowry then i'll bring goldbug thank you amalia yes i'll drink my coffee now and eat as i ride he ran back for his horse and soon returned and then drank his coffee and snatched a bite while amalia and larry slugged the bags of food and the water on the mule and made all ready for the start as he ate he tried to arouse and encourage the mother but she remained stolid until they were in the saddle when she rose and followed them a few steps and said in her deep voice yes i ask a thing you will find paul my husband tell him to come to me it is best no more i cannot in english then turning to her daughter she spoke volubly in her own tongue and waved her hand imperiously toward the men yes mamma i tell all you say amalia took a step away from the door and her mother returned to her seat by the fire it is so sad my mother thinks my father is returned to our own country and that you go there she thinks you are our friend sir mcbride in disguise and that you go to help my father she fears you will be taken and sent to siberia and says tell my father it is enough he must no more try to save our fatherland that our noblemen are full of ingratitude and that he must return to her and live hereafter in peace let be so it is saving hallucination tell her if i find your father 
I will surely deliver the message. And the two men rode away up the trail, conversing earnestly. Larry Kildeen explained to Harry about the jewels, and turned them over to his keeping. I had to take them, you see. You hide them in that chamber I showed you, along with the gold bars. Hang it round your neck, man, until you get back. It has rested on her bosom, and if I were a young man like you, that fact alone would make it sacred to me. It's her dowry, she said. I'd sooner part with my right hand than take it from her. So would I. Harry took the case tenderly, and hid it as directed, and went on to ask the favour he had accompanied Larry to ask. It was that he might go down and bring the box from the wagon. Early this morning, before I woke you, I led the brown horse you brought the mother up the mountain, on out toward the trail. We'll find him over the ridge, all packed ready, and when I ran back from my horse, I left a letter written in charcoal on the hearth, there in the shed. Amalia will be sure to go there and find it, if I don't return now, telling her what I'm after, and that I'll only be gone a few days. She's brave and can get along without us. Larry did not reply at once, and Harry continued. It will only take us a day and a half to reach it, and with your help, a sling can be made of the canvas top of the wagon, and the two animals can tote it, as the darkies down south say. I can walk back up the trail, or even ride one of the horses. We'll take the tongue and the reach from the wagon, and make a sort of affair to hang to the beasts. I know how it can be done. There may not be much of value in the box, but then, there may be. I see Amalia wishes it of all things, and that's enough for us. Thus it came that the two women were alone for five days. Madame Renoska did not seem to heed the absence of the two men at first, and waited in a contentment she had not shown before. It would seem that, as Larry had said, there was saving in her hallucination, but Amalia was troubled by it. Mother is so sure that they will bring my father back, she thought. She tried to forestall any such catastrophe as she feared by explaining that they might not find her father, or he might not return, even if he got her message. Not surely, for he had always done what he thought his duty before anything else, and he might think it his duty to stay where he could find something to do. When Harry King did not return that night, Amalia did as he had laughingly suggested to her when he left. You'll find a letter out in the shed, was all he said. So she went up to the shed, and there she lighted a torch, and kneeling on the stones of the wide hearth, she read what he had written for her. To the Lady Amalia Manowska, Mr. Kildee will help me get your box. It will not be hard for the two of us, and after it is drawn out and loaded, I can get up with it myself and he can go on. I will soon be with you again, never fear. Do not be afraid of Indians. If there were any danger, I would not leave you. There is no way by which they would be likely to reach you except by the trail on which we go and we will know if they are about before they can possibly get up the trail. I have seen you brave on the plains, and you will be as brave on the mountain top. Goodbye for a few days. Yours to serve, Harry King. 
The tears ran fast down her cheeks as she read. Oh, why did I speak of it? Why? He may be killed. He may die of this attempt. She threw the torch from her into the fireplace, and clasping her hands began to pray, first in English her own words, then the prayers for those in peril, which she had learned in the convent. Then, lying on her face, she prayed frantically in her own tongue for Harry's safety. At last, comforted a little, she took up the torch and, flushed and tearful, walked down in the darkness to the cabin and crept into bed. End of chapter 19 Recording by Elaine Webb, Bristol, England